Um, so, uh, we are continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. Uh, you will, uh, some of you who've been coming for a while know that uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew and we are in the a section of the, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, called the Beatitudes. And today we are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. So keep your, your finger, if you've got your, your Bible with you. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, do feel free to grab one from the back. There are some in Farsi and in English. Um, keep your finger in Matthew 5, but also put your finger into uh, Psalm 37 that Joan just uh, so ably read for us, as we're going to flick a bit between the two. Um, as you know, or perhaps you don't know, uh, Myself and Denise had the privilege of being in America for a couple of weeks, last week, three before. Uh, and one of the things that struck me was their reaction to the kind of things we're seeing on our news way too much at the moment. The terrorist attacks, uh, the... Uh, shooting of police officers in America, obviously that is, is happening in their own, own country, uh, and the, the shooting of young African-American uh, men over there as well. Uh, I was quite uh, struck by how strongly within their culture they were reacting to these things. And, and we are as well, I suppose. It is all over our news, and, and I don't know about you, maybe it's, it's just me, but when I see a lot of that news, and it seems to come day after day, I think I'm tempted to, to ask what's going on, to, to ask. To, to my heart is maybe tempted to, to despair a little bit about that. Now, okay, you'd have to admit that sometimes our media, certainly the U.S. media, runs on a diet of fear sometimes. It seems to be, you know, fear sells TV space and newspaper space. Uh, but the facts are shocking. We see innocent civilians being killed by bombs and guns and knives. We hear of corruption and injustice. And it's easy to despair of the way in which the world is going. And, and when we think about our response, when we think about how we should respond to that, um, sometimes we feel... I want to get back at them. You know, I want to, I want to hurt them. I want to, you know, that, that your anger rises up because of the terrible things they've done. I don't know how many of you seen the film The Untouchables. Uh, the Untouchables was a film in the uh, 1980s, 1990s, 1980s, uh, set in 1920 Chicago. Uh, uh, starred uh, Sean Connery and. Um, some other people. Um, and I'm not very good at remembering who's in films. I know, isn't it? Uh, anyway, it starred Sean Connery doing a Scottish-American's kind of accent in a very bad way. And he was starring as a police officer. And he, they're trying to get Al Capone. Okay, Al Capone, the well-known American 1920s and 30s, I think, gangster. And this was his approach. This is what his character said. I won't do the voice. Um, you want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. If he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's how you get Capone. 
And there's that bit of me that sort of goes, yeah, yeah, get him. Um, and even some politicians and even some of our national governments think like that sometimes. That is not how Jesus, however, thinks about it. That is not what he taught. Um, and so in our culture today, when, when we're so often we think about, it emphasizes power and self-reliance and the ability to defend yourself, although that often seems to involve attacking others for some reason, or protecting your own rights, which often seems to involve trampling on someone else's rights, or strength to do what you want to do, be independent, be strong. As is so often the case with Jesus, he teaches something totally the other direction, totally the other way, uh, showing us that that approach is fundamentally wrong and showing us that that problem fundamentally is in our hearts. So today we're going to think about that. We're going to think about uh, this, uh, this statement of Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So I want to think today, uh, the main point I really want you to, to, to grasp is that this idea of meekness is a gift from God. And that it blesses Jesus' followers. This is a gift from God that blesses Jesus' followers. And we really want to think about three questions. If you're taking notes today, like Graham, I would encourage you to take notes. I, I think they help you to, to process what we think about. Uh, the first question is, who are the meek? The second question is, what does it mean to be meek? And the third question is, what does it mean to inherit the earth? So who are the meek? What does it mean to be meek? And what does it mean to inherit the earth? So those are the three things we're going to think about. Um, so first of all, uh, who are the meek? Who are the meek? Let's just do a bit of recap. Uh, just go back to the beginning of chapter 5 there in, in Matthew. You can see there the first couple of verses. Um, Jesus has been teaching to great crowds, great groups of people in the northern part of Israel that's called Galilee. Uh, and at the beginning of chapter 5, we see Jesus, uh, there are great crowds following him. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people following him. And, he, and so he goes up onto a mountain, away from the town, away from the villages of the area. And the Bible says he sat down. Uh, and that's the position from which Jewish teachers would, at that time, would have taught uh, so look there in chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. So he knows that teaching is going to come on. It's the same way in that in our culture, when a teacher stands up at the front of the class, you know they're going to teach, and all the kids, well... Hopefully all the kids go quiet, you never know. Uh, in that culture, it was the other way around. When the teacher sat down, you knew they were going to teach. Um, also notice it's not the whole crowd who've been following Jesus. It's his 
disciples here. It's the people who are following him. It's the people who are looking to be taught by him. This, this teaching is primarily targeted at the people who were following him. Uh, and Jesus then, as, as we've talked about now for, for several months, Jesus preaches this fantastic sermon. Uh, and, and he starts with these, these beatitudes, these statements about what it means to be blessed. I'm just so thankful for uh, Graham, the way in which he's brought uh, these first couple of uh, verses to us, talked about the, the poor in spirit, blessed are those who, who, who mourn, love the way Graham preached, always love hearing from him. Uh, and as he has said, the word blessed there, it means uh, a lot more than just being happy. We're not just talking about being, oh, I'm quite happy. Um, because happiness comes and goes, doesn't it? You know, you know, that emotional happiness, it comes, it goes. No, this is a deep down, unchangeable state of well-being. And it comes about because of our trust in Jesus as our own saviour. He is the source of that blessedness. And our relationship with him is how we, we get it. We'll talk more about that. Um, because, because when someone, as Graham was saying, when someone realises that they're not right with God, that they're rebels, they're breakers of God's law, that they don't follow God's way of life, that they are, when they realise that, they are poor in spirit. In verse 3, you can see there, blessed are the poor in spirit. We, we realise we're poor in spirit. And, and that person then, then hopefully then mourns over that fact. They are devastated. They are so upset that they've angered this God, this perfect, holy, loving, just, merciful, righteous God. They have, I have, made him angry. And so we mourn over that rebellion, as, as Graham was talking about last week. That's verse 4. So people who, who are poor in spirit, they, they realize they're poor in spirit, they're mourning over their rebellion. And we realize that we cannot restore that, that relationship. We cannot satisfy God's anger. And so they are humble enough, they are gentle enough, they are, the word there is meek. They are meek enough to say, to admit, I, I cannot do this. I, I cannot do this myself. Nobody can do it themselves. Nobody is strong enough to take the anger of God against their sin and to survive. And so we realize that, that we, we, we need to be saved. We need somebody to save us. And so we put our trust in Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus, the one who saved us, the very Son of God, part of God himself. We sang about the power of the cross a moment ago, who died on the cross to satisfy God's anger against us. Jesus does what we can't do. He lives a life we can't live. He He dies a death we cannot die. He pays the price for our sins that we could never pay. And so the people who turn to him as their saviour are saved indeed. And they are the meek because they 
have put their trust in Jesus and not put the trust in themselves. And and they are, as it says in verse 5 there, they are blessed by that fact. They've become blessed by it because as they've become part of that kingdom. The the kingdom is, you can see the kingdom is what we've titled the the series. Uh, This kingdom is partly here. It's partly in place. It's not yet been complete. I want to be very clear with you. Be very careful here. Meekness is not an entry requirement. It's not that you have to be meek before you enter the kingdom. It's not that you have to be meek before you follow Jesus. It is that because you follow Jesus, you will be meek. Blessedness comes about as a result of following Jesus. Meekness comes about through following Jesus. And God is always... God is always urging his people to do this stuff. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read to you from First Peter, the book, first book of Peter in chapter 5. Uh, this is what it says there in, uh, in verse 5. Uh, all of you, how many people are included in the phrase all of you? All of you? All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble uh, or you can read you can read the same kind of encouragements in Ephesians chapter 4 or in Colossians chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 3 so when we're thinking about that first question we're thinking about who are the meek if, if the meek are blessed and the meek shall inherit the earth who are the meek the answer is followers of Jesus The followers of Jesus are the meek. Christians are meek. Uh, They are characterized by meekness. Characterized by other things in the Bible as well. Other things characterize the followers of Jesus. But meekness is one of them. And because of that, they're blessed and are going to inherit the earth. Whatever that means. We'll find out about that in a bit. Um, And you might be saying, well, okay, Ian, thanks very much. I understand what you just said, but I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. So what does that mean for me? First of all, let me welcome you again to to being with us here at the church. I hope you do feel welcome. I hope you feel uh, that you are glad you're here. And this passage is just as much for you as it is for, for Christians. Because I hope you can see that the, the happiness and the joy that you sometimes, perhaps, perhaps in your life often feel, is not the same as a deep down, unchangeable state of blessedness, of well-being that we're talking about here. That your own attitude is, is often not characterized by meekness. That you desire to travel your own road, not God's road. Friend, let me please urge you, do not be fooled by the world around you. Do not be fooled even by your own heart. Please embrace what Jesus is saying here. Embrace the meekness, embrace the fact that Jesus has died for you. That he's died and risen for you from the dead so that you 
might be reconciled to God. That you might not have to experience that anger for yourself. He's paid an enormous price so that you might be in the kingdom, his kingdom. So that you might call yourself blessed. Blessed despite all the storms in life. You would say, yes, I'm blessed. In fact, especially in the storms of life, you would say, blessed. That is the good news about Jesus. That is what we sometimes call the gospel. Please, I beg you, do not dismiss this teaching. Do not think meekness is weakness. It is not, as we'll see in a moment. The, the, the great anger that God has against you and the things you do wrong, please see you cannot save yourself. Please see that you need to turn to Jesus who can save you. Do not wait to fix yourself. You will wait forever. Turn to him today and experience this blessedness yourself. Well, uh, so much for uh, the idea of who are the meek. We've, we've sort of thought about that. We're going to think about our next question now, which is, what does it mean to be meek? It's a funny word, isn't it, meek? We don't often use it too much, I guess, in 21st century English, meek. Uh, I think it is fair to say that our, our society thinks meekness equals weakness or being timid. Uh, hence the old joke based on this passage, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that is okay with you. Um, the, that is not the case. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. How do we know? Because Jesus himself is the model of meekness. So, so when, we, when we think about what it is to be meek, let's look at Jesus. So he says in, in Matthew uh, chapter 11, we'll get there sometime in about five years' time, I guess. Uh, he says to me, he says, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is admitting here he is a humble, gentle guy. What are the kind of king rides into Jerusalem on a donkey? What are the kind of king doesn't respond when he's spat on or when he's mocked by the Roman soldiers? So Jesus is meek. Jesus is undoubtedly meek, but he is not. He is not weak. Because remember some of the other things Jesus did. Remember that he drove the money changers out of the temple with a whip turning over their tables. This is the one about who the demon says in Mark chapter 1, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus is the one who rebuked all the religious leaders at the same time and also didn't hesitate to rebuke his own disciples. This is not someone who is weak. This is not someone who is timid. This is not someone who did not get angry 
in the face of injustice. He was not indecisive. He was not shy. He did not have a lack of confidence. The the meanness we're talking about here is not the same as being a doormat or, or being timid or being weak. That is not the kind of meekness Jesus modeled. So so what do we say? What are we going to say? What is it like? I want to suggest to you that we're going to use words like compassion, gentleness, humility. Uh, When we're responding to to the good times and the bad times in life, in fact, especially when we're responding to the good times and bad times in life, especially when we're dealing with Difficult situations, especially when we're dealing with difficult people. I think uh, one speaker describes it as power under control. I thought that was good. Power under control or power with tenderness. That is what meekness is. The response of this meekness is balanced. It's measured. When we look back into Psalm 37, it's clear that someone is meek, who is meek is trusting in God rather than in themselves. A guy called Charles Qualls, it's an unusual name, but Charles Qualls, I didn't make that up, says, says meekness seems to refer to someone who seeks to live righteously, even though it appears that the wicked prosper and the good suffer, because they trust God to deliver them from the wicked, and to act justly. So uh, I said to keep your finger in uh, Psalm 37. Your finger's probably hurting a bit. Just turn over to Psalm 37. And uh, I don't know if you picked up on it as as Joan was reading that, but uh, in in a number of places it talks about uh, the people of God inheriting the land, uh, and specifically in Verse 11, it said that pretty much what Jesus is saying, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. It seems that when Jesus was preaching on the mountain, he was remembering Psalm 37. uh, And he was thinking about what uh, David had written hundreds of years before. Uh, And I think that, that when you read Psalm 37, that it gives you a painting, it paints you a picture of what someone who is meek is like. Let me just let me just point you to a couple of verses. Let's just let's just quickly look at a couple of verses here. Uh, uh, they delight in the Lord. Yeah. Uh, they wait expectantly for the Lord. Uh, verse seven. There. Be still before the Lord and, and patient and wait patiently for Him. Uh, the meek put their hope in the Lord. Uh, look there in verse 9. Evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Uh, they, uh, their way, the way they live their right, life is described as upright. Uh, and, and many of the parts of that, that psalm you go through, you can read it for you. You can feel yourself there. Uh, so that, that, that paints a picture of what it's like to be meek. I think sometimes a, a short definition cannot really give you the whole, whole story. 
And so, so uh, when you think about meekness, if you read Psalm 37, that paints a good picture for you of what it's like. But how are we going to cultivate it? I like the word cultivate. I'm doing a lot in the garden at the minute, so I'm into the word cultivate. How can we cultivate meekness? Okay. Again, let me be really, really clear about this. Uh, meekness is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, in Galatians 5.23, it says, Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It, it is it is clear that the, the Beatitudes are fruits of the Holy Spirit. They are things we get when we become believers in Jesus. However, like all of those things, they need a bit of cultivation if they're going to grow. They need a bit of our input. We can't just sit back and go, Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, please make me meek, meek, meek. And then that's it. That's part of it. But we need to do, it is helpful if we do more. Careful with my words there. It's helpful if we do more. So I want to suggest to you some practical things that you can do in your own life that will nurture meekness. Okay, and again, when I'm saying that, I'm assuming that you have put your trust in Jesus. Uh, Number one, really coming from the Beatitudes, is recognize and mourn over our own sin. Recognize how spiritually broken we are. Uh, I was so encouraged by Graham's sermon on Do Not Worry. And part of my encouragement for that was the fact that he is a worrier. Okay, and so you're you're hearing from someone who is a real worrier talking about don't worry and speaking with what I felt was a lot of authenticity. So, great, great. Uh, This one's mine, okay? Pride, okay? Pride has to be the thing I struggle with most. And so I am preaching to myself when I'm preaching this stuff, okay? So please be really clear uh, I struggle with this ever so much and these are some of the things I have tried to do as I fight that pride and seek meekness. So wh- when I say, yeah, my next line here is, is, is our pride is reduced pretty quickly when we realise just how deep our rebellion is, how far we are from God. Cross out that line, my pride I have found, is reduced pretty quickly when I realize how deep my rebellion takes me, how far from God I am driven by my sin. Uh, and, and the world and, and, and the devil and my own flesh, very subtle, very clever, just turning me away from God so quickly. And so I have to totally rely on Jesus to preserve me. I am spiritually poor, I mourn over that and I have to do that more and more to build up meekness and kill my pride. And that's the gospel, isn't it? When you think about it, that is the good news about Jesus is understanding how bad your sin is and turning to him to be rescued. This crucifixion was the supremely meek act, an act of supreme power under supreme control. And when I remind myself about that 
it helps encourage this kind of, of meekness. Uh, number two, take uh, on board the Bible, receive the word. Notice I'm not just saying there to read the Bible. Okay, lots of people read the Bible and it's good and it's glad, but we've got to take on board what it says. James chapter 1, it says that the humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word of God. That is with meekness. Take what God tells us and apply it. And to do that, we have to be, I think, have a certain amount of humility, a certain amount of meekness. And that will build meekness. It's kind of a feedback thing. Uh, I was saying, Number three, I was saying a moment ago, uh, pray. We don't pray about the work. Prayer is the work. We pray to be more like Jesus. You, you want a good prayer? Pray to be more like Jesus. That's a great prayer. Particularly pray, in this case, pray to be more like Jesus in, in his humility, in his meekness. Uh, it, is, it is God who changes us. It's really hard to change yourself. It's probably just about impossible to change yourself. It's God who has to change us. Uh, that's the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. That's the kind of prayer which is a good prayer. Make me more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus in his humility. Number four, I talked about this a moment ago. Uh, make war on pride. Go to war against your pride. It is the Pride is the opposite of being meek. Uh, the opposite of meekness is not a lack of meekness. The opposite, the opposite of meekness is pride. Uh, you asked Denise about that. She knows that how much I struggle with it and how it is just such a big thing. And uh, I would recommend to you the very useful practical book by a guy called C.J. Mahaney. Uh, it's called uh, Humility, I think. Um, uh, and it's you know one of the reasons we go to war against this is because pride triggers so many other behaviours. It triggers so many other sins in our lives, uh, and so uh, you know it shows up as self reliance, as overconfidence, and pretty quickly uh, we find that meekness is going out of the window. Uh, it said it in Peter, we read a moment ago from First Peter, it also says it in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud. So not only is he angered by our pride, but he actually opposes the people who are proud. He actually actively tackles people who are proud. Uh, and when my own pride rears up, I can certainly feel God's opposition. Uh, but ironically, I'm often too proud to admit it. Um, ah, you know, trust me, it is a terrible thing to be opposed by a holy God. Uh, number five, uh, join with others. Join with other people who want to develop this kind of meekness. Uh, you've often heard us say that uh, following Jesus is not a team sport. It's not a solo sport, it's a team sport, excuse me. Uh, here's another great example why. Um, this kind of meekness, the, uh, going to war against pride, all that good stuff uh, is helped when we do it with other people. It's easier when we do it with other people. With 
uh, perhaps in a, join a gospel community. Our gospel communities are taking a break over the summer. Uh, the folks are off uh, getting, as Rob was saying, getting some good rest. But in September, the gospel communities will be starting up again. Join a gospel community and uh, read the Bible together, perhaps pray together. Um, but it doesn't have to be in a gospel community. Meet up with someone else one-on-one over a cup of coffee. Read the Bible together. Read some good Christian literature together. Pray together. Give them permission to be open and honest with you. To hold you accountable. To say when they see you being proud. To say, to encourage you when they see you being the opposite, being meek, being humble. And do the same for them. Have the honesty to say to them what you see and encourage them. It can be hard to do that if you don't know them first. So do you know, one of the reasons we encourage you to get to know each other, to get involved in social events, to go to gospel communities, is that when you do that, you can speak deeply and truly to other people. It's hard to do that if you don't know them. You, know, you try going up to somebody in the street and saying, you know, I think you're pretty proud. Um, get to know people first, then tell them they're really proud. Oh, okay. Um, number six, as we, as we go through this, become a member of the church. We're, we are always excited when people come and visit us and when they stay, and that's all good, and when they worship with us. But when you're becoming a member of the church, we are, we are giving each other permission the kind of permission I was just talking about a moment ago, to permission to say, to speak into each other's lives, to say, this is what I see, this is what I see going on. And for them to encourage you and to speak into your lives as well. And so we can work together to, to become more and more like Jesus. The Bible says iron sharpens iron and certainly... Uh, that, I think, has been the experience of many Christians who I've talked to over the years. And uh, finally, number seven, if you're doing it as a list, um, avoid complacency. Still preaching to myself here. Um, just because you know the right words in church, just because you know big chunks of the Bible, it doesn't mean that I am meek. We have to keep going back to the good news about Jesus. We have to keep going back to Jesus and praying to him and working on it. Any, any mature Christian will, will always be going back to Jesus, going back to Jesus, going back to Jesus. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about who I am, it's about who he is. It's not about what I've done, it's about who he does. Back to Jesus, keep going back to Jesus. Because it just, otherwise it just creeps up a bit at a time. And before we know where we are, we're not in a good place. I think, I think when I think about this, I want to, tell, I want to, I want to um, suggest to you that your heart is never in a stable state. Your heart is never in a stable state. It's either going one way, or it's, going, it's either going towards one way or it's going towards the other way. It's either going towards pride or it's going towards meekness. Uh, it's never just staying in one place. It's always going one way or it's always going the other way. Uh, 
sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but I think it is always uh, moving. It is never in equilibrium. And so it's really important to think about this and address it in our hearts, to, to, to think about how can we increasingly display this meekness that Jesus displayed. Uh, however, as we, as, we, as we say that and as we think about that, Remember what we've said about the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a li- oh, I said that again, didn't I? The Sermon on the Mount. Sorry, okay, let me just explain that. Do forgive me if you hear me say the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Back in the day when we were in a church, they used to do this jokey little thing where they do the finance report, and they call the finance report the Sermon on the Mount. And that's kind of just got stuck in my head as something. So do forgive me if I ever say the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, It's the Sermon on the Mount. So as, we, as we've talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this part of the book of Matthew, this is not a list of characteristics that we work and work and work and work at and then grasp and achieve. It's a set of characteristics that God gives us and that we join with him to help us grow, uh, to become more and more like his son, Jesus. If you're not a Christian here, or you're not a Christian yet, uh, again, let me just encourage you. I hope you can see that pride is not a good thing. I hope you can see that A blessed life is not what awaits you if you just want to pursue pride and your own agenda. I want to urge you again, this is not what God is looking for. I want to urge you again, please turn and trust Jesus. Um, So we thought about who the meek are. That was our first question, if you can remember remember that far back. Uh, And we thought about what it means to be meek. What about the third question? What does it mean to inherit the earth? Uh, I mean, what does that even mean as a concept? What does it mean to inherit the earth? Like all of the Beatitudes, flick back over to Matthew if you're you're still in in Psalm 37, flick back over to Matthew 5. Like all of the Beatitudes, when you look down that list in chapter 5, this one in in verse 5, it's got the same kind of structure. It says... It says, um, the people of God will be blessed. It says there's a characteristic of the people of God. Something that they're going to be increasingly becoming. And then thirdly, some kind of benefit, some kind of reward, some kind of something else. And in this case, it's to inherit the earth. Uh, Once heard a pastor called Henry Blackaby say that he had been praying over that phrase for almost 50 years as to what it actually meant. A guy called Hendrickson writes that the inheritance is not like an earthly inheritance because we only get it by the grace of God. We don't get it because we, we don't earn it, but it's also an inheritance that nobody can argue with us about. No one can take it off you. No one can dispute it. Um, So 
most commentators seem to agree that there's, there's a couple of parts to that. First of all, the first thing that, that the meek inherit is our place in the kingdom of God. So those who trust and follow Jesus re- receive a place in his kingdom, the kingdom now. As we were saying, that's the title of the series, Kingdom. Uh, and the, as we said earlier, the kingdom is only partly here. It's still progressively being brought in. And yet, it, it, it I think, is clear from this that we, uh, when, you, when somebody follows Jesus, that they receive a place in his kingdom. And they receive spiritual gifts. We talked about meekness, but there are other gifts that you can find there in Galatians and in Ephesians and in this part of, of, of Matthew. Uh, when, you, when you come into the kingdom, you receive spiritual gifts. You receive the Holy Spirit. But not only that, we're given work to do. We're given work to do to build up the kingdom. Not that it relies on us, but it pleases God to give us work to do. Um, not building up our own kingdom, not bringing up our employer's kingdom or somebody else's kingdom, our children's earthly kingdom, building up the kingdom of God, worshipping him, telling others about him, encouraging each other, building each other up. Uh, We have a place, we inherit a place in the kingdom of God now. Now, I don't know about you, but I I sometimes feel like I'm not sure where home is. Sometimes I feel like I don't belong somewhere. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You're you're like, you're somewhere and you're like, I don't belong here. I don't feel I belong here. You never need to have that experience when you are a follower of Jesus because you are always in the kingdom of God. You are always at home in his kingdom, wherever that is. So, uh, so we, we do that. The second thing is that the followers of Jesus are blessed and inherit the earth because they inherit the new earth. don't know how many of you have ever read the end of the Bible. That is Revelation chapters 21 and 22. But in Revelation 21 and 22, when Jesus comes back, a new heaven and a new earth is created. And the people of God live with Jesus on a new earth forever. And so when it says we, the, the people are, who follow Jesus inherit the earth, they literally inherit a new earth as well. That will come when uh, Jesus returns. Also, again, not, not, not everybody realizes this, but, but one of the things Christians do is they judge the world as part of that, that new earth. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, says that Christians will judge the world along with Jesus. Uh, so there's inher- there is an inheritance in the world now, the kingdom of God, partly here, not fully here yet. There's an inheritance in the new earth. Uh, go, go read Revelation 21, 22. It's a great, great part of the Bible to read. There's a, bless you, there's a, there's a third thing that I want to suggest to you that Christians inherit. And when you read Psalm 37, uh, I think we get the sense that 
And this is not something that all the commentators would agree with. But I think we get the sense that we're not just talking about the first two things. We're not just talking about the spiritual kingdom of God, and we're not just talking about the future earth. We seem to be talking about something happening now. We seem to be something happening in the physical world as well as the spiritual world. Uh, When you read Psalm 37, uh, it seems to be that those who oppose Christ, those who, the proud, the wicked, that they do not have their way forever. They do not have their way permanently. The wicked will not prosper. And really that's going back to the full circle, to the beginning of what I was saying. When you see the news reports, when you see the reports of terrorism and of murders and of corruption and of um, seemingly endless elections sometimes, um, and you, you hear some of the stuff and you think, no, that's just wrong. Psalm 37 says the, that is only for a time. Those people will not prosper. Those people are not the blessed. Their life is limited. Their acts will fade. It is the word of God that lasts forever. And that is also our inheritance. We inherit the word of God which lasts forever. That's forever. It doesn't fade. It doesn't erode. It doesn't rust. It lasts forever. And that is also our inheritance. It's not something we inherit tomorrow or in a thousand years' time. It's something we have now. So what are you going to inherit in life? I don't know if you've, you might have already inherited something. I don't know. You, you may have inherited something from a relative or a friend who, who died or perhaps they gave you a gift. Um, what do you expect to inherit in this life? Uh, I inherited my grandfather's watch. It's very nice. Uh, perhaps you're... You're perhaps you're expecting to inherit something like that, something that, that, that means something about, about the person you've inherited it from, perhaps a watch, a piece of jewellery, uh, a picture that, that means something. Uh, perhaps you're expecting to inherit something a bit more substantial, you know, perhaps... Perhaps there's a villa in the Bahamas on its way. Who knows? You know, perhaps there's a, a, a major sack of cash or something that you're expecting perhaps to, to come to you. Friends, I want to tell you that you have the opportunity to take place in the biggest inheritance in all of history. You have the chance to inherit the biggest inheritance that was ever been known. You have the chance, the opportunity, to inherit the whole earth as a free gift, as a free inheritance to a beloved child of God. You have the opportunity to inherit the whole earth. To do that, we have to stop trusting ourselves, 
and in our own strength. And we instead trust in Jesus and in his strength. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which you have clearly taught us about what it means to be uh, proud and what you think about that. And Lord, to also teach us that, that a humility and gentleness and meekness is available to us if we will only turn to you. And the fact that not, the, not, the fact that not only is that meekness something that should be desired, but it is something that will lead to our blessing and to ultimately our inheritance in your kingdom and of the earth. Lord, this is not some vague, weird teaching or something like that. This is the truth. This is your word to your people. Lord, will you help us to accept it and put it into our hearts? Lord, will you please, uh, if we don't know you, Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, we pray that those who do not know you would turn to you right now in faith and in repentance. Lord, and we pray that those of us who do know you, Lord, would go to war to kill pride and to build up meekness. Lord, will you help us to do that? Will you help us as your people, as we together, as a group of people here in Rotherham, seek to do your will in this area of our lives? Thank you, Father. Amen.